Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to continue this process that we've been on the last few weeks. Um, you know, we've, we've been showing you how God had a plan to send Jesus all along, way before Christmas came around. We talked about how God had a plan, and we call it progressive revelation, that progressively he was showing us God's will. He was showing us how Jesus would come. And then we talked about Christmas, how Jesus came, and, and he used regular people just, just to Two engaged person, Mary and Joseph. Do you remember that? Um, when Mary gave Joseph the news. Um, and then we talked about after the reveal, what did Jesus do? Because if we're saying we want to follow Jesus, then we need to know how he did it, right? And so we talked about how we only know 10% of Jesus' life. But what's powerful about Jesus' life is the 90% that we don't see. And we talked about the equation of an iceberg, right? That 10% visible plus 90% invisible equals an indestructible life. That's what we want. We want to work on the 90%, not the 10%. You know, our society has flipped that. We've became shallow. We want to be 90 out there and then 10 behind the scenes. But behind the scenes is what makes you who you are in public. Can you say amen? And so Jesus taught us how to do that. And he, and he went to, to a, a, a period of praying and fasting. And so we're going to pick up from that moment where he comes out of praying and fasting. And he goes now into what we call his public ministry. You know, he spent... About 18 years in obscurity, and now here he is now at 30 years old going public with who he is. And again, if we're looking at Jesus, we need to look at the pattern for our own lives. Can you say amen? So Luke chapter 4, I'm going to go verse by verse today. Uh, If you've been in church long enough, we call that old school teaching. We're just going to break down each verse and show you what it means for us today. Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 14. Okay, so Jesus has spent 40 years in the wilderness praying and fasting, and he comes out, and this is what the Bible says, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. So he returns. What's the key thing there? He returns filled with? He returns filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. My friends, you can't go public without the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was teaching us something here. Listen, you need to empty yourself through prayer and fasting so you can be filled with the power of God so you can go now and live the life that God has called you to live. You cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is why we have to differentiate being a nice person and being religious with following Jesus. You can be a nice person and and be religious and do nice things, but when you need the power of the Holy Spirit to live above the level of sin and mediocrity, the power of the Holy Spirit needs to come upon you so you can now be the living testimony that he created you to live in the first place. Can you say amen? Now remember, it's not just that he prayed and fasted, it's the fact that he passed the test as he was praying and fasting. Hello, somebody. If you want the power of God, you have to pass the test. Because like I tell you almost every week, you can't have a testimony without a test. And so Jesus had to pass the test of those three things that we all have to pass. He had to pass the test of the lust of the flesh. In other words, he had to pass the test of not living by his cravings, but by living by the word of God. 
right? And then you have to pass the test of the lust of the eyes, but not living by just what you see and comparisons and worried about people's opinion, but he had to pass that test. And then he had to pass the test of the pride of life, where it's not about who he thinks he can do, but it's about who he is in Christ. And so those tests, my friends, is what's going to empower you when you pass them to live the life that God has called you to live. But it is impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like having a beautiful car with no gas. I don't care how nice your car is. I don't care how many Instagram posts you have about your car. But you need gas to go from A to B. And that's the Holy Spirit's power that's going to enable you to live out the life that Jesus has for you. Can you say amen? You know, the Bible says we need to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because, because throughout life, it's easy to be filled with other things. Right? I, I don't know if you noticed during this prayer and fasting, if you're doing it, what happens is you begin to get clarity. It's almost like things are getting stripped off of you, and you begin to see things more clearly, and you feel lighter. Right? Why? Because you, you're taking some stuff off, you're shedding some stuff that wasn't supposed to be on you, and you're making room for the presence of God to come and take His place. In your life. So we can do the religious thing or we can do the Jesus thing. The Jesus thing is way more exciting because there's power in it. Like, you know the word power here is the word dunamis in Greek? The word dunamis in Greek is the word dynamite. He's saying like when the Spirit of God comes upon you, there's an explosion of life that happens inside of you. And now you have freedom to live the life that God has called you to live. Anybody filled with the Holy Spirit in this place? So he comes filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch this, verse 15. He, he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, Jesus came home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Let's stop there. Now, interesting, right? He comes back. The Bible says he comes back and he goes to the synagogue. The synagogue is another word for a temple. And the Jewish temple is another word for church. Jesus went back to church. Okay? And I don't know if you caught this, but he says, as usual. In other words, Jesus grew up going to church. Right? Which is so funny because a lot of times I hear people say, I don't need to go to church to follow God. But it's interesting. The Son of God went to church to follow God. So, so, so you must be smarter than Jesus. You know? You ever heard people say that? Oh man, I love God. I need to go. It's like that's like me saying oh, I'm married. I don't need to go home. <laughs> I have kids, but I don't need to be there. You get what I'm saying? It makes no sense. The Son of God was teaching us here. Here's how you live your life. Why church every week? Because he understood the power of community. He understood that we're better together. He understood that the presence of God is, is, is with us everywhere. But when we come together, we're all bringing the presence of God together. And so there's an explosion of worship and praise that takes place when we're together. And there's strength in numbers. And we have to keep growing in our faith because faith has to keep growing. And every week, God gives us a chance to unplug and just to come and plug into His Spirit together as God's people. And so that's why Jesus went to church every single week, as usual. I pray you make a decision in your mind and heart that every single Sunday is God's house. I've got to be in God's house. I've got to grow with God's people. So, so watch this, right? He, he, he does that on a Sabbath, right? For them, the Sabbath day was the day of rest and it's a Saturday, right? For the Jewish tradition, 
the day of worship and praise was a Saturday. And the reason why is because God says, I want you to work, but then I want you to rest. There's got to be a routine of your life where you work and rest, you work and rest, you work and rest. And the reason he said to rest is like you have to remember where your blessings come from. Right? He said, the reason why I need you to stop once a week and go to church is to remember, listen, you're not God, I am. And if you keep working 120 hours a week, you're going to think you're the God of your life. And then when things go wrong, you're going to blame me for not being the God of your life. But if you stop and rest and give me praise and worship, then I can take the center stage in your life again and bless you. And so you're like, how come we're here on Sunday? Well, we're here on a Sunday because when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a Sunday. So the new Christians said, we're no longer following the old traditions. We're going to follow a new one because Jesus starting a new tradition now where we are going to remember every Sunday that he rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, anything is possible. That's why on Sunday mornings we come to worship a risen God who is here with us in this place. And the funny thing about religion is we'll, we'll make... We'll make an argument out of that. People will argue about, yeah, but it's got to be Saturday. It's got to be Sunday. And then we miss the entire point. The point is not about the day. The point is the fact that God is to worship every single day of your life. <laughs> so when people argue about it's a Saturday, Sunday, I'm like, no, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We just come together and we're going to keep it going. <laughs> you know, for example, I'm working right now. Right? So guess where my Sabbath is? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow's my day off. So please don't bother me on Mondays. You know, like I work all week long and I work all weekend to get you, you know, hopefully a good message and, and, and get you ready for God's purpose for your life. But on Monday is when I get to replenish and receive and, and be ministered to as well because, you know, pastors are people too, you know. <laughs> so so, so that's, the, that's, the, that's how he grew up, and that's what he was doing. But now the, the difference is that the, this is the first time that Jesus is about to preach a public message, right? So look at this, right? Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Like, what's he going to say? In that tradition, what they would do is, it was a typical service like this. Right? They would have some songs, they would have prayer, right? someone would read from the Bible, and then someone would preach. And so Jesus just read from the Bible, and in this tradition, they would sit down, and, and they would begin to teach on what they just read. I want to show you what Jesus would read from. This is a picture of a scroll. This is what it looks like. When I was teaching uh, world religions, I used to take the kids on a mission trip, on a field trip to a synagogue to show them an actual scroll. It's pretty cool. Because that's what Jesus would have done. In those days, they didn't have the printing press yet. So each book of the Old Testament was individually in a scroll like this. Right? No, no chapters, no verses. So what they do is they would mark the place where they were going to read for that week. Because this scroll, when you unroll it fully, depending on, on how big the book is, a scroll could go as far as 100 yards. So try bringing your Bible to church like that. 
Right? So the only people who had the scrolls was the, the church, the temple, until the printing press came around. They were like, we can condense this and put this all together in one little book called the Bible. But that's how Jesus would have read this thing. He would have sat down, and then he would begin to preach his first sermon. Right? And so interesting, here's how he begins his first sermon. He, he reads the Bible, and then he says this in verse 21. Then he began to speak to them the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. How would you like to be in that church service where someone reads the Bible and says, what you just read, that's me. How would you respond to that sermon? Knowing that you've known this Jesus. He comes to temple usually. So all of a sudden, he's going to get up there and say, hey, by the way, the thing we read every week, it's talking about me. Right? But before I tell you the reaction, I need to tell you the message. The message is powerful because he said, I'm reading from the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus came to earth. And we talked about this in the prophecies that Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come. So Jesus started saying, listen, the thing that was prophesied, it's here. It's here in the flesh, right? And he tells you, here's what I came to do. Basically, his first message was his mission. You know, every company has a mission statement. Well, this is Jesus' mission statement right here. He says, I came to do these things. First of all, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Here's another church word, anointed. Have you ever heard that word before? Do you know what it means? See? That's what I'm saying. And so we in church sometimes, we hear these words, but we don't know what it means. Uh, The word anointed, if you're taking notes, it, it translates to a rub or sprinkle. Okay? What's interesting is, in the Old Testament, you will be anointed with oil because oil was a symbol of God's spirit on you, right? And so they would anoint people like kings and priests and prophets. And the whole point is that you're being anointed for service. In other words, your life now is going to be of service to others. Did you know this? A few years ago, if you look at our history, right, politicians were called ministers, because they're supposed to serve people, right? We call them ministers of defense, ministers of justice, right? Ministers of education. The whole point is that, hey, we're anointing you to do a service, right? So when someone says they're anointed, you got to ask the question, how are you serving? Because you're anointed to perform a service, right? Because a lot of times in church, we think people are so spiritual because they know a lot of Bible verses. You can know a lot of Bible verses, but what are you anointed for? You're anointed to actually do an act of service. So he's saying, the Spirit of God has anointed me, right, to do these things. What are these things? Here's, here's the, mission, the mission statement. He says, first of all, the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, you have to understand that Jesus' message always have compound meaning, right? Because the word poor there, automatically we assume, oh, man, the poor guy on the street who has a sign and he's hungry. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the type of poor. That's the physical poor. But Jesus here is saying, I'm, I'm anointed to preach good news to the poor, not just physically, but the poor emotionally, the poor spiritually, the poor mentally, the poor in spirit. My friends, that's good news because all of us are poor in spirit. You know, I know people who have money who are poor in spirit. And I know people who have no money who are still poor in spirit. (laughs) You thought I was going to say something else. (laughs) Because sometimes we think that's the spiritual thing. Being poor physically makes you... No, no, no. Jesus came to proclaim the good news to 
everyone who says, man, my life feels like it's being bankrupted. Because that's what sin does. Sin bankrupts you. Leaves you impoverished. So he says, I came to set you free from poverty. Now, poverty reflects itself in different ways. Poverty of mind. Poverty of heart. Poverty of relationships. Right? And then, and then obviously, poverty in the physical. So he says, the good news is, I came to bring you back to the person that you created to be. Because I created you good. See, a lot of times when we tell people about Jesus, we start with the bad news. But the reality is, Genesis 1 says, God created us good. Genesis 3 things went wrong. But he's like, I'm trying to bring you back to Genesis 1. When he says, let us create man in our image and likeness. And he says, I created you with purpose. I created you to produce. I created you to have dominion over things. Not to become poor. See, a lot of times we just think about money. But no. God wants to make you rich in every aspect of the word. Rich in mind. Rich in heart. Rich in spirit. And then obviously rich also so that you can provide for your family. And you can do the things that he's called you to do. That's the good news, my friends. If you feel poor this morning, praise God you're in a good place. Jesus came to bring you good news came to restore everything the enemy has stolen from you and then he goes on to number two look he says i came so the captives will be released you know the word captivity there you ever watch that show that used to be popular back in the days you ever watched the show cops bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you gonna do when they, one time we were watching it they were in Pawtucket. we're like yo we know that kid <laughs> he was getting like you know when the, when they nicely put you on the hood of the car and put the cuffs on you, that's what captivity looks like. This is the picture Jesus is giving you here. It's like, I came to release you, not just, not just physically, but spiritually. I came to set you free. Because let's be real, some of us never been to a physical jail, but we have a jail in our minds right now. He said, I came to set you free from certain mindsets. I came to set you free from certain habits and, 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 and broken patterns and, 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 listen, destructive patterns that you've created over the years when you keep doing what sin called you to do. I came to release you from all that. I came to set you free from everything that's holding you back. Never call a person a drug addict. That's not what God created him to be. You got to call them by their real name. You were supposed to be set free and delivered from everything that's holding you back. So I came so the captives would be released. That's why I love the testimonies here of captives being released. You don't know this, but right now in our audience, there are people who are actually physically in jail that we went and visited, and they met Jesus there, and they're in church today. Come on, somebody. We got to give Jesus some praise. We got recovering addicts in the house. Praise God for freedom in Jesus. Freedom from depression, freedom from suicidal thoughts, freedom from all the things that have created. The Bible says we create strongholds in our minds and he came to break them down so you can be free. And then he goes on to say, I also came, listen, so the blind will see. Right? Again, a compound word there. Though Jesus would heal a lot of people physically, but a lot of times we need spiritual healing. How many of us would say there was a time where you felt spiritually blind? And Jesus came and opened the eyes of your heart to really see life for what it truly is. 
Isn't it amazing when the blinders are taken off? And you begin to see the world differently. You see people differently. You see your situations differently. You see circumstances differently. Why? Because he has opened the eyes of your heart. You were blind, but now you can see. Does anybody have a testimony today? Came to restore sight. And what's fascinating to me is sometimes he didn't even heal people physically because he knew you need a deeper healing than just physical. That's a word. You know, what a shame would it be to get physically healed but not spiritually healed. Matter of fact, one time he told someone who was crippled, he says, you know, I can say easily, get up and walk, but I want to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can walk but still be in sin. Oh, my God. Y'all ain't going to. Do you know how many people have come here and got delivered from something but then walked away? Why? Because they got half delivered. They thought all they needed was this thing. But Jesus is like, I'm not done yet. And you see people walking around like, okay, I'm good. I'm, but he's like, you're still limping. You're still, you're still got stuff in you that God's not done with yet. That's why I tell people, man, if you're serious about Jesus, let him get all the way to the depth of your soul. And watch him open up things that you never thought you can. Listen, I'm 40 years old and I feel like Jesus is still exposing things. Blind will see. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the good news being preached to the poor. And then he goes on to number four. Look, he said, I came so the oppressed will be set free. My God, there's a lot of oppression in our world. There's a lot of stuff that's caked up on us that was never God's will. Some of you, you've been, you've been abused by others. Today, one of the prayer, prayer requests was, you know, if someone feels like they're being bullied at work, that's oppression. It comes in many shapes and forms. Right? And Jesus said, I came to set you free from all that. Yeah. See, Jesus never intended for you to live a guilt life. Some of us are oppressed by guilt. You won't let go of your past. You're in church, but you keep thinking about what you did. And Jesus is trying to tell you, listen, I know what you did, but I know what I did for you. Yeah. I came to set you free. I came to liberate you. There's always two voices speaking to you, my friends. There's one that, that screams really loud, but then there's a, there's a still small voice. Listen to that still small voice that says, no, you are worth it. I'm for you. I love you. I forgave you. I'm here to bless you. He wants to take chains off and make you free. And then, he, and, then he, and then he ends his sermon with this. Number five, he says, listen, basically God's favor has come. I love that. The word favor there is the word grace, is the word jubilee. He says, I came to bring the joy of God. And it's a compound word. It's like, I came to bring everything that you need. Jubilee in the Old Testament, there was this concept that there would come a time where debts would be canceled and, and, and people would, would make amends with each other and the presence of God would be in their midst and there would be so much joy, it would feel like heaven on earth. My friends, I'm declaring that 2019 is the year of Jubilee where God is coming over his people and he's bringing you joy and he's bringing you favor, he's bringing you prosperity, he's bringing you healing. Come on, you got to receive by faith. This is the year of Jubilee over you, over your families, over the city, over this region, over your loved ones. Come on, just because you don't see it yet, it doesn't mean it's not happening. The seed is on the ground. The seed is on the ground. Stop praising God in advance for what he's about to do. This is a year of Jubilee. Someone had to take a moment and give God some praise in this place. Favor is here. 
I'm telling you, it's going to be an awesome year as we continue to pursue Him. We continue to come after Him. What an awesome message to begin His ministry. Right off the bat, He's like, this is what I'm all about. And my friends, if we say we're followers of Jesus, guess what? It's also our mission. Because He said this, He said, listen, I'm going to go. You're going to stay. My spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to do even greater things. That's crazy. He said, like, I'm going to empower you with my spirit, and you're going to be on mission too. And guess what? Where you go, you bring good news. My friends, the gospel is not just what we preach. The gospel is how you live. Tell your neighbor, you are the gospel. You are the good news. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're supposed to bring good news to the poor. You're supposed to help captives be released. You're supposed to help the blind see. You're supposed to have the oppression go free. And you're supposed to bring the jubilee of the Lord on earth. If we're not doing this, we're not doing Jesus. We're just doing religion. We're nice people, yes. But we don't need to be nice people. We need to be people filled with the Spirit of God on a mission to bring heaven to earth every single place that we find ourselves in. That's the message, my friend. You are the mission. You know, the Bible goes as far as saying, like, listen, the way you live your life, you become a living epistle. A living letter of God. Did you know this? That some people will never read the Bible, but they're reading your life. What are they reading when they look at your life? They should be reading this. Listen, I am about bringing good news to the poor. I am about releasing the captive. I am about bringing the joy of the Lord. I am the Lord's. That's what church is about. That's why many people are bored in church. Why? Because they do church, but they don't become church. This message is about becoming the people of Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Right? And so he, he, he does this amazing message. And then look, the reactions are very interesting. Because they're kind of like, you know, all over the place. Look, verse 22. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? I find it fascinating how a message will always have different reactions. Some people are like, yo, that's amazing. Some people are like... Wait a minute. Who does he think he is? That's Joe's kid. We know him. Comes to the temple every week. What is he talking about? Like, what in the world? How do people hear the same message but have different reactions? Oh, there's an answer. Watch this. Verse 23. Jesus responded. Now the message has become a conversation. Then he said... You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown. Like, like, you did, like you did in Capernaum, which is another city. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. You thought the devil was your enemy? I got, good news, I got news for you this morning. Your greatest enemy is familiarity. They were so familiar with going to church that they miss the God of the church. Some people are so familiar with religion, God can smack them in the face and they won't recognize it. 
Here they are, all these years, praying and believing for the Messiah to come. And he has come, but it wasn't the enemy that kept them from seeing it. It was familiarity. Sometimes the enemy doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is make you be familiar with everything that you're used to. Go to church, do the songs, do the prayer, do the ministry, and then go home. Go to church and do the thing, and do the thing, and do the thing, and do the thing, and kneel at the right time, and say the right things, and get baptized, and catechized, and all this stuff, but then miss God. These were good people. But because of their familiarity, they miss the move of God right in front of them. That Jesus said, listen, I wasn't going to do these things in other places. The next two verses, what he does is he illustrates his message because that's what preachers do, right? We try to illustrate our message, try to make a point. But the thing is, Jesus wasn't trying to make a point just to make a point. Jesus was trying to poke at their familiarity. Because familiarity breeds unbelief. The greatest obstacle to a miracle is unbelief. Because God says, if you come to me, you must believe that I exist and I reward those who earnestly seek after me. So if I don't seek after God, it's because I don't believe he can do it. Are you following? So he says, let me give you two examples. He said, he said hey, you know your Bibles, right? You, do you know the story of that woman you know, that lived in Elijah's time and, 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 uh, and she received this amazing miracle? But guess what? She wasn't the only widow in that moment, but for some reason, God chose someone who wasn't a Jew to perform this miracle to make a point that you Jews are taking me for granted, but you, they're supposed to be God's people, are taking me for granted, so I'll take someone else outside of your camp, and I'll do a miracle with them to make a point that if you believe in me, all things are possible. (laughs) Then he gives them another illustration, he's like, oh, you... You know the story, right? You know the story of a guy named Naaman who was leper, right? And, and he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. But God chose to heal him, even though there were many other lepers in Israel that wasn't healed. But this person got healed. Why? Because he believed that actually he could do this. She just pokes at their familiarity and unbelief. And how did they respond? Well, let's find out. Verse 28. When the people heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Heed it. No, it gets worse. Verse 29. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him off the cliff. That escalated quickly. How do you go from preaching this amazing message to people who want to kill you? How does that happen? One moment, some people were like, this is amazing. This moment, we're like, we're going to kill this guy. How is it that people can hear the same message but have different reactions, my friend? Oh, I'll tell you why. You receive a message based on the condition of your heart. Here's the thing we have to understand. A sermon is not about the preacher. It's about the hearer. Jesus said this. He said, in another instance, you can go read it. Read your Bibles. He said, a sermon is like a, a farmer who goes out to plant seeds. He said, the farmer will throw seeds. Right? But depending on where the seed lands, 
comes the outcome of the seed. He said, the thing is, your heart is like a soil. Depending on where your heart is right now, it's how the seed, the word of God is falling on you. He said, some seeds are just shallow. They'll hear it. They'll get excited. But because they're shallow, they, don't, they can't go down deep in the ground, that the moment you live here, the enemy will just snatch it away from you, and you go right back to the same life. He said, some seeds have thorns in them, which, in other words, the seed wants to grow, but there's too many thorns around the seed that, that, that it chokes the seed out. You won't see the fullness of it. That's those people that, you know, get excited about it, but they let the troubles of life get the best of them, and they go right back to where they came from. And then he says, man, there's so the soil that, that kind of begin to take root, but because that soil wasn't fed enough, it begins to now spill back the seed. The seed never took root. But then he says there's a fourth type of soil, though. He says he called that the fertile soil. He said that's the soil that the seed goes down into the ground, takes root, and then in due time it produces 30, 60, 100 foot according to that soil. Now, you got to ask yourself the question this morning. Which soil am I? Because depending on my soil, condition of my heart, it's how I'm going to respond to God's message. Their soil was so familiar and so filled with unbelief that they chose to try to kill him instead of embracing what he was trying to bring. Nowadays, when we don't like something, what do we do? We go kill people's character on Facebook. Try to kill them. First message off the bat. Because when you're done accusing everybody, you still got to look at your soil. When we're done pointing fingers, we still got to look at this finger that comes around and says, what about my heart? What about what's going on in me? Oh, it's so much easy to say what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with the church and the church wants your money and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you still got to lay down your heart and say, okay, what about my soil? That's why we respond differently to messages. Depends on the condition of our heart. And the good news about soils is soils can be worked to become fertile. Soils don't have to stay shallow if you work it. Right? Soils don't have to have thorns if you take them out. Right? If you keep working, that's why the Bible says work out your salvation. He's saying do those things that only you can do. Twerk your soil so the seed can get rooted in you so you can produce fruits. So you don't find yourself offended by the very thing that's trying to help you. Nowadays, we'd rather be offended and ask the question, why though? What is the root of my offense? Why do I feel so uncomfortable in church? It's easy to say, well, everybody has a problem. But at some point, I got to look and say, God, what is the condition of my soil? Don't I want to produce something? That lasts for eternity, my friends. So this is why we respond differently to sermons. Sermons are meant to confront us. Interchange. My friends, listen. We'd rather hear a nice sermon than to be confronted with truth that leads to change. They were all fine with him until he said, we need to do something about this. We're all fine with getting nice Facebook posts until the post says, now you got to do something. That troubles us. Makes us uncomfortable to change. 
Because it's so much easier to do religion. I got in, I got out, I punched in, I punched out. Let me go watch the Patriots. Which, by the way, God bless the Patriots. (laughs) Patriots fans, come on now. If you're not a Patriots fan, we'll pray for you after just... We'll bless you with fanhood. My friends, here's a reality check. Number two, sermons are meant to to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. There are weeks where God is trying to comfort you. There are weeks that God is trying to afflict you out of your comfort zone. Depending on the condition of your soul, you're going to respond to the message a certain way. Number three, sermons, my friends. Jesus believed that God's word demands a response of action. Can I tell you something? I've been preaching for 20 years. Some of the best messages is not the ones that you say, nice sermon, pastor. Some of the best messages are the ones that made you question everything to the point that you're like, God, I need to do something here with my life. Those are the best messages. And I know that's going to like kind of like make things weird when I get out there you start talking to me nice sermon pastor and then you're going to rethink like what is a nice sermon is because to be honest with you that was a great sermon and they want to kill him and to be honest with you a nice sermon is what you put into practice if he didn't lead you to action it was a nice speech not a nice sermon a sermon it compels you to action And Jesus came to develop a people of action. People who their face have legs. People who actually do something with what they hear. Can you imagine going to the cross and going, hey, my my goal in life is to get you to a room once a week so you can sit down. No, he says, I came to birth a lifestyle, a mission. Where you, you, when you say you're a Christian, you're saying, I'm a little Christ. I do the same things that Jesus would do if he was on this earth. I talk the same. I act the same. I believe the same things. And my friends, sermons, number four, we rather defend tradition than embrace God's movement and will. Five years here, our biggest obstacle has not been unbelievers. It's been religious people with their traditions who couldn't understand that God is up to something new. They couldn't understand. Wait, we, go, we do this every week. Nothing different happens. That's the problem. That's the problem. We do this every week, and we go back to our miserable lives, and then we call that being religious. My friends, come on. The devil is a liar. We're into movement of God. If, I'm going to tell you right now. If this thing is not changing your life, stop coming. Go to IHOP. You get a better meal. You don't have to fast. I'm telling you, if this thing is not causing you change, like I'm I'm talking about real change. I'm not talking about, you know, shallow soil change. I'm talking about deep-rooted change where God is transforming your life. If he's not doing that, then then, then I I guess not. But my friend, I can't defend tradition and miss God. People will tell you, oh, I was baptized, catechized. Yeah, tradition. But where's God in your life right now? What's he doing right now? 
How is he changing you? How is he convicting you? How is he using you for his glory right now? Not 20 years ago. Right now. Same God from yesterday. He's here right now in this place. What's he doing in your life right now? I want real change. I don't want to pretend. That's why I don't like Christianese. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But you're still sleeping around, smoking, acting like everybody else and doing the same thing. Come on. We need some real change. This is what we always done it. Yeah, that's the problem. What would be the point of moving to a city where it already has a hundred and something churches to just do it like everybody else? Because the, the reality is, it's not so much about, no, we do it better. It's more like we're trying to be in tune with the Spirit of God. There's different expressions of praise. But what do we do? They argue over how we do it as opposed to what's happening. I don't care how you praise God. They did it differently than we did. It's not about how. It's about what's happening. He says, I need worshipers that worship me in spirit and truth. Not style. Styles would change. There was a time period in history where if you had a drum in church, they thought you were the devil. Because of a drum. We argue over dumb stuff. And no one asked the question, where's God? Oh, you should preach this way. You should, you should wear a suit and tie. Yeah, I can do all that, but where's God? I'd rather be comfortable in who I am and, and be uncomfortable by seeking Him and let Him mold me. So how you respond to a message has a lot to do with your heart. The blame game started in the garden. He made me do it. He made me do it. The devil made me do it. But God's like, no, I'm talking to you. Where are you in all this? My friends, it requires introspection to say, God, what are you doing in me? Because what's amazing to me is the word of God is so powerful that he meets you exactly where you are. The person next to you, their seat is different than yours right now. The person behind you, oh, it's a whole nother ball game. But he's so big. It blows my mind. One message preached to thousands of people will know how to get exactly to where you are right now. That's how powerful seeds are, my friends. That's why sometimes you see, you see something growing concrete because seeds is powerful. Seeds will grow anywhere. Will grow anywhere. It doesn't discriminate. If you have a good soil, man, you can produce much. And I love that he says 30, 60, 100 because we're all different. He was talking to his disciples, a real heart-to-heart. He's talking to Peter, because Peter had denied Jesus. And he said, we got to talk about that. Again, where are you, Peter? What is the condition of your heart? And he asked him three times, do you love me? But each time he used the word love differently, like how deep is your love for me? In Greek, he said, do you love me like a friend? Do you love me like a brother? And do you love me like I'm your leader? So they're having this heart to heart, right? And what does Peter say to Jesus after all that? He's like, now that we established that, I got work for you to do, Peter. This is not just, we had a heart to heart. That was nice, Jesus. No, Jesus says, now I I need you to go lead this thing. And then Peter goes, "Uh, what about him? 
He's talking about John. You know what Jesus said to him? Mind your business, Peter. I'm talking to you right now. This is your seed. Let me worry about that. I'll worry about him when it's his seed. Sometimes I see people walk around like, what about him? What about him? What about Yeah, what about you? He's talking to each one of us. The first person he talks to about these messages is me all week long. I got to get hit off with this stuff. Because after I'm done saying it, now I got to go live it. So people don't understand. God sometimes wants to offend you out of your comfort zone. The chaplain at Duke University was preaching one day, and a woman said, Pastor, I normally like your sermons, but today I didn't like it. And she said, what makes you think God didn't want to offend you today, lady? You think the message is about the preacher? This thing is over 2,000 years old. Still relevant today for those who have good soils to receive and say, God, you're speaking to me. I'm going to take a hold of it. One of, my, one of the best preachers of all time, Charles Purgeon. Look him up. Google him. Charles Purgeon lived in England, had a mega church, powerful ministry. Here's what he said about preaching. I love this. Watch. He said, I learned from this incident in our Lord's life that it is not the preacher's business to seek to, to please his congregation. If he labors for that end, he will in all probability not attain it. But if he should succeed in gaining it, what a miserable success he would be. It's not to tickle your ears. It's to transform your heart. That's what a message is all about. It's not, I like this one, I don't like that one. It's not a buffet. It's do I want the truth of God to penetrate my soul so I can live the life that created me to live in the first place. That's the truth, my friends. That's why we get passionate about telling people about Jesus because, man, it's easy to make it about us. Make church all about us. You know, in a prayer and fasting, some of the things you got to realize is you're praying about some things, but God maybe is trying to tell you about some, some things he wants you to do. Amen. Now you think, God's not hearing my prayer. He's like, no, you're not hearing my prayer. <laughs> and don't you know this? This will mess you up. But some of the prayers you're praying about right now, you are the answer to those prayers. God, would you please send someone to tell my friends about you? Yeah, I did. You're it. <laughs> You're, you're the one. It would be nice if pastor would come over and bless my house. Uh, you're, a, you're the pastor of your house. Church starts at home. Get, get, you get your anointing. Go to every room. Anoint your house. Anoint your kids. Oh, we got to stop playing this game. The anointing of God comes upon everyone who receives him. And everyone has power now to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. I told the staff this week, it would be best if they can see me less. So we can all take ownership. And I think this is a one-man show. What did he do right after this message? He started a crew. Did you know that? You think we do crews because we're cool? We're not that smart. He started this thing. He's like, no, I need a crew of people around so we can do this together. 
Because we're better together, and this thing is too big. I can't do it all by myself. So he gathered 12 guys, and he began to train them, and they spent three years together, and those guys end up changing the world, ripped the world upside down because they truly believe that the power of God can come upon them. We wouldn't have Christianity if it wasn't for those 12 guys. How did we get here for five years? Because some people decided, no, this thing is, is not for just for me. I need to take this thing out there and help more people and reach more people and believe God for more and more. This is not about me. When you make it about you, you are stumping the growth that God wants to see. It's about taking it and sharing it and see where the seeds land. That's up to God. That's not up to you. We argue about seeds, but we forget that God gives the growth. So watch this, right? So they want to kill him. And here's how this ends, my friends. Verse 30. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. How do you like that? Want to kill him. They're like, ah, this is it. Passed right through the crowd, went on his way. What a message. Are you part of the crowd? Or are you a part of those who are going on God's way? Are you part of the crowd or you are doing exactly what God has called you to do? You know, I'm telling you, it's easy to come in here because the church is big and just be a face in the crowd. And never actually take action with what God is telling you. Because I know for sure, I know for a fact, I'll go to grave with this. Right now, God has already told you something. Every single one of us. But it depends on the condition of your soil. How is it that you're going to respond to this thing? Are you the shallow, the thorny, the the halfway, or are you the good soil? That's what it comes down to. There's an action for every single one of us in this room. Every single one of us. That's what a message is supposed to do, is steer you into action. It's not just, oh, nice sermon, pastor, good job. Try again next week. It's like, what are you doing with the word of God? Because the pastor also has to live this thing. He's already dealt with me all week about this. I have an action I need to take when I preach. And, and so do you. The Bible says it's about a priesthood of believers. Everyone coming in and saying, God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to do through me? You're working on me, but what do you want to do through me? We are people of action because faith without action is dead. So let me make it a little bit more clear. Some of the actions we need to take this morning is clear. Some of you, you're in the category of God's like, you've been coming, but you haven't surrendered your life to me. Today your action is to say, Jesus, come into my life. I've been coming, but I haven't really surrendered my life to you. Some of you, you're in that category. If you're honest with yourself, you're there. The second category of people is, you've been coming, you said yes to Jesus, but you haven't taken the step to go public with this thing and get baptized and say to the whole world and tell your whole family and friends like hey look Jesus has changed my life and he can change your life too some of you guys are in that category you just need to get baptized today sign up today and get baptized in two weeks some of you you've been coming and you're like man I like I love this church but the way you talk about the church is like it's they it's not we church is not something you go to it's something you belong to that's why we have join the mission classes For some of you, you're like, man, I've been coming, I like it a lot, but I haven't put my hands to the plow. Well, that's for you. Have you joined the mission? That mission. His mission. 
to actually do church and put your hands to the plow. This stuff doesn't just magically appear. There's people who are church who come early every single week to set up, to break down, to set up, to break down, to set up, to break down, to set up, to break down. But you know what they're seeing? They're seeing, I have purpose. I have meaning. I have, I have a church that I just go to, a church that I belong to. Some of you, you've been coming, but you're doing the isolation thing. You kind of come in, you come out real quick. It's like, that's not church. Church is a community. He started a crew because he's like, you don't do this by yourself. We have over 50 crews starting in a couple of weeks. Do you think there's room for you? I think so. I think so. So the question is, are you going to take the action to actually join a crew? Because there's praying about it and then there's doing it. Did you know the seat you're sitting on right now is rented? Did you know that? The lights are rented? Because there's a group of people who say, God, we don't just go to church. We tied because we believe in the mission of this church. And we actually help to make this thing happen week after week after week after week. So today I got to ask you, are you a consumer or you're a contributor? Because consumers will just... Take, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. <laughs> Contributors will contribute. God, I'm getting something out of this. My kids are getting something out of this. My family's getting something out of this. I need to contribute by tithing with my tithe and offering to say, Lord, I'm part of this thing. Or you're going to tell me, oh, well, the way, you know, the, the theology of tithing. Well, if you have a problem with 10%, why don't you give 20 You got a problem with 20, why don't you give 30? It's funny, we never talk about going up and be more generous. We always talk about going lower. But God's like, how about you be more generous? I gave you 100. I'm just saying give 10 so we can keep this thing going and doing the will of God for our lives. Did I hit everybody yet? Oh, one more. If you're offended, there's 100 churches in, in the city. Find one that's going to tickle your ears and, and do what you wanted it to do. Find one. But for this house, we're going to stand on Jesus' mission and we're going to do what God calls us to do, come hell or high water. We're not going to apologize for the message of God and the will of God for our lives. Come on, it's time to take action right now, right now, right now. Some of you, you need to take action right now and make Jesus Lord of your life. Would you bow your heads with me, close your eyes for a second. Some of you, if you don't mind not moving for a second, just in respect of others, close that door for me, please. Um, they're going to be offended anyway, so might as well just close this up real quick. <laughs> but I believe there's people here who need to know Jesus. No, put the lights on. We don't need... I, I want to see people. Jesus has made it clear He came for you. He came to save you. He loves you. And He wants to come into your life. Right now, you have the opportunity to make Jesus the leader of your life. Not just someone that is out there. No, someone who could come in here and heal and forgive and begin a new normal in you. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.